You are now listening to the How'd You Get Into That Podcast with Grant Baldwin, episode 36. Enjoy. Welcome to the How Did You Get Into That Podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an inspiring interview or encouraging message to help you find and do work you love. Now, here's your host, Grant Baldwin. What's up, my friends? Welcome to uh, another episode of How'd You Get Into That. My name is Grant, and uh, I am just delighted that you are here today. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great week. Um, I hope just things are running smooth for you. I hope if you're doing something, uh, some type of job that you're not digging, some type of job that you're not into, that you don't like, I hope that these uh, these episodes are encouraging you to, to at least think about and realize there's so much more than just paycheck. There's so much more than just doing a job and just living life where it's like, thank God it's Friday. Oh God, it's Monday. And just living like that week after week after week. There's so much more than just doing a job that you hate. So I hope that the stories and journeys that we're sharing with you from the, the different guests that we've had on, I hope that that's encouraging you to continue to search out and find work that you love. we got a great episode for you today, but before we get to that, let me uh, give you a quick shout out to today's sponsor, 99designs. If you're looking to have anything designed, you can get dozens of designers to compete to deliver you the best possible design. You have access to literally over 315 graphic designers from all over the world. You know, the challenge when you work with one designer is you get one opinion on it. But when you're working with 99designs, you're going to get literally dozens of options to choose from. You get 100% money back guarantee. You got nothing to lose. So stop by, check them out, 99designs.com slash grant. All right, today we've got a, a great interview with comedian Michael Jr. Michael is a, a very funny man who does shows all over the country, a, a traveling comedian. So uh, just a, a super cool story about how he kind of got into comedy and how he realized that this was a niche for him that made sense and fit. So uh, I think you're really going to be inspired and encouraged by this. And ah, let's just do it. Let's get into it. Here's my, uh, my chat with Michael Jr. Enjoy. All right, what's up? Welcome to another episode of How'd You Get Into That? Uh, today, we are joined by the hilariously funny Michael Jr. Michael, what's up, man? Yo, what's up, man? Good to have Thanks you here. On the sh- Thanks much. Thanks. Yeah. I'm not physically there you do know that right yes this is true this is true but either way it's good to have you here virtually and digitally so so for people that aren't familiar with you i know that you're a comedian but you it's more than just uh, like clubs and tours but you i mean you speak at a and speak and do comedy and shows at gigs a bunch of different types of places so tell us give us a little snapshot of your business and what you do i do comedy like with a microphone got it <laughs> uh, just uh just clubs i know you you do a bunch of other types of places too I just want to check your interview skills. <laughs> Keep um, me on my toes. Yeah. And then the microphone is hooked to a speaker. Got it. All right. And that's, that projects yeah. out to people? Yep, yep. Um, no, so I, I'm, it's really kind of cool. I get to do comedy. I've started out in the comedy clubs, and I've always loved performing at clubs. And I was able to, I'll play Vegas once in a while. I played it, I used to play it a lot more. And now um, I also perform at churches all over the place. And I realized I had a revelation one time right before I got on stage at a club in Los Angeles that instead of trying to get laughs from people, my I was really called to give people an opportunity to laugh, which is way different because in one instance, I'm looking to take. The other instance, I'm looking to give. So once that uh, revelation, once that came to me and I realized that, then I started opening up. Other opportunities started opening up. Or I should say I started noticing other opportunities such as going to places where people really need to laugh, like homeless shelters, abused children, 
places, prisons, and, and places like that. So we also do comedy there as well. Nice. So I mean, it sounds like you do a lot more than just the, you know, just the standard club scene, which is where obviously a lot of comedy uh, comedians make their living and, and make the rounds. So there's definitely a, a unique spin, and I guess a unique angle to your world then of, of going into places that people would never assume that comedy would be associated with. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, it's, it's really cool too. And the reason I can do that is because again, when I get on stage, my focus isn't to get laughs from people, it's to give them an opportunity to laugh. And then when you, when you have a gift for someone, when you're just giving someone a gift, it's really not about how they respond to it. Your job is really just to present the gift. So with that understanding, I can go to a homeless shelter where a lot of comedians, myself included, especially at first, would, would be concerned with, wow, what if they don't laugh? Well, that doesn't really play a part. I'm just there to to present my gift. And it just so happens that they... They always laugh, so it's great. <laughs> it definitely helps if you're a comedian. It helps if they if they uh, respond with a few laughs. Yeah, <laughs> so let's backtrack a little bit on how you actually got into this. Obviously, that's what the show's about. So there's a lot of people like growing up who you know they may find like you know a class clown or something, or we get a couple kids or buddies to laugh at some stuff. At what point did you kind of realize like there might be something here? Like, did you always want to be a comedian, or how did this kind of come to be? No, I was never really a class clown. I was, because my parents, my dad had this, he has this thing around his waist that um, would prevent me from doing anything to disrupt the class. Gotcha. So my, you know, my parents weren't about that. They were all about making sure I get the education and all that stuff. So if I ever said something funny in school, it had to be funny enough that the teacher would laugh because a laughing teacher doesn't send you to the principal's office and she doesn't call home and do all of that stuff. So I was always very strategic with anything that I said or did in school. Well, I tried to be. I mean, sometimes I was wrong. But, yeah, so for the most part, I've always just tried to stay away. Like, if you go to a party and I'm there, first of all, I'm not going to be there. But if I am, you wouldn't even know I was there because I'm probably easily one of the more quiet people in the room. Yeah. One of the more quiet people in the room because I'm not that... Like, I'm not just trying to get a bunch of attention. I just, you know, if, if opportunity presents itself, then I will see what I can do to seize it. But I'm not really uh, trying to force myself on people. So even growing up, you weren't so much the quiet, or weren't so much the, the class clown, more just kind of quiet, hanging in, in the background. At what point, like, uh, even after high school, going into college, what did you want to do with your life? Straight out of high school, I was, people would ask me, hey, what are you doing after school? I was like, uh, I'm going to go make a sandwich. What are you talking about? I'm hungry. <laughs> I got to have any huge plans out of school. I didn't love school at all. So to go to college or something, that wasn't even... And the school the school system where I grew up at, I probably shouldn't say the name of it, Grand Rapids, Michigan, wasn't, like for me anyways, it wasn't like the best yeah. by any means. I actually had a teacher tell me, hey, maybe you should, uh, maybe you should just skip class once in a while. I had a teacher actually <laughs> tell me that. She's like, you're not going to be anything. You're not going to do anything. And some people think that that would motivate me to do more. It really didn't. I wasn't like tired. I'm still to this day not trying to prove anything to her. So education wasn't really huge, huge for me. It's just that it was necessary. Now I can see the importance of it for sure. But I wasn't geared on, yeah, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just kind of floated around. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I actually, when I was 14, I had a, I used to sell candy, shovel snow, do all that kind of stuff. Then at 19, I owned the oil change business. And then after I owned it, I was like, yes, I'm an owner. This is awesome. 
yeah, it's miserable. This is not what I want to do. So I was at a, right before high school, me and some friends went to a movie theater. And in the middle of the movie, we were watching this movie, and in the middle of the movie, the uh, projector broke or something happened. And the movie stopped playing. And a friend, a German exchange student, he said to me, I dare you go tell a joke. So at the time, if you dare me to tell, if you dare me, I'm 17 years old, I'm just going to do it. So I went there and I told this joke and 400 disgruntled moviegoers all laughed. And then uh, I went and sat down and security comes running in looking for me to kick me out. And this white lady who I don't even know stands up and says, if you kick him out, I want my money back. And then these bikers with long hair and tattoos stand up. And then these black people, the whole crowd stands up and comes to my defense because I gave them a little part of me. They showed me all this love. And that just blows me away every time I think about it. You're 17? Even when I'm 17 years old. That's wild. So even when I look back at that, I feel like that was like, it was like God or something giving me a glimpse of what it was he asked me to do. Because even at 17, the comedy that I presented there, it was actually a dirty joke that I'd heard, but I had to rewrote the joke so I could present it, present it in front of that audience without any foul language or any foul content. And I wasn't a uh, Christian or any sort of any of that stuff at all at that time. I just wanted to present a clean show. So on multiple levels, that was a glimpse at what it is I do now. So security comes running in and everybody kind of stands up for you. Did you get back? Did you tell any more jokes while they're fixing the projector? No, 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 not at all. I knew when to get out. That's the only joke I had. <laughs> so tell that one, get off stage. So that starts something and just kind of sparks something within you. Where, where do you go from there? Do you, like, is it an immediate reaction? Like, oh man, I'm on to something. I feel like I got this. Or is it more just like hindsight's 2020? Like, well, now I'm looking no, back. I'm going to tell a joke. It was I, I cool. Just, yeah, no, I just went and got a job. I wasn't thinking about, I mean, that was really, really, really cool, but then I had to, like, I had to eat. Right. So, I went and got a job, and I was working at this gas station. This was before I'd actually had my own business, so I'm like 17, 18 years old. I have a job at a gas station, and this guy comes in looking for directions. This is before they had GPS on your phone, or a phone, cell phone, anyway. He says, uh, can you give me directions to the comedy den? I was like, what is a comedy den? And he was like, apparently you can't give me directions. So he asked the lady next to me who was working, and she gave him directions. And before he left, I was like, hey, man, what is the comedy game? He said, it's a comedy club. I was like, so you're going to a show down there? He said, no, I'm actually one of the comedians. I was like, wow. Like, I had never seen an actual comedian in real life before. Yeah. I was like, this is just a regular dude. Like, he's driving a Toyota. Like, it was, <laughs> it was a human. Like, I don't, that stuff, remember when you first found out that your teacher was human. Yeah, yeah. You see her at Walmart. Robot yeah. Just, yeah, you thought she was a robot to stay at school until you got there. It was the same feeling. I was like, wow, that's, that's a real... So I went into the show. I paid like 10 bucks. I went in and there was like 30, I'm probably probably 26 people in this room. And there's one guy on stage and he's just talking to the people and he gets some kind of warmed up, I guess. And then out comes the dude from the gas station. And I'm like, whoa, snap, that's the same dude. He's on stage. <laughs> People are listening to him. Some of them are laughing, and I'm listening to his jokes, and I'm like, wow, that's really not that hard. Like, I could create. I could do what he's doing. I could, yeah. I could probably, if these people are laughing at that, I could probably have them laugh, too. And then from that point on, I just went and found any open mic anywhere that I could. And I remember the first time ever doing an open mic. It was at a uh, comedy club called Connections Comedy Club, Lansing, Michigan. 
I go up on stage. They give you three minutes of comedy. There's probably 35 people in the audience. And I do my three minutes, and there's other comedians that do their time, and I do mine. And I remember after my set, sitting down in Lansing, Michigan, a room full of, at this point, 19 people, because most of the people there were just there to, it was mostly comedians in the room. I sat down and waited, because I knew a producer from Hollywood would come over, tap me on my shoulder, and say, hey, I want to put you in a movie. I literally sat there waiting until, like, one o'clock in the morning, and then I got the tap on the shoulder, and it was the manager of the club saying, "Hey, man, we we about to close. Bro. What, <laughs> what are you doing? You gotta get out of here." So it didn't matter. I was still I still felt the high from getting on stage, and I was like, "These people laughed. That was awesome." So and that I kept pursuing it. So those kind of open mic moments where it worked and it clicked and it just resonated, and you just felt like. I think I got something here. Like, what were people thinking at that point? Like, what are your family thinking? What are friends thinking? I'm thinking, that's cute. That's an adorable little dream, but you're crazy to think you're going to be a comedian. Yeah, no, I didn't let my family or friends in on it until probably two years into my, my rehearsal of it. I just never let, I, even to this day, I never understand people who try comedy for the first time and they invite all their family and friends. Like, I just yeah. don't get that. Yeah. I got to make sure I know what I'm doing, make sure I've got my wheels under me before I can present it to my family. Because I've seen that happen before when people invite their family out for the first time ever on stage, and it goes really bad. Yep. Now you have to deal with that awkwardness every single time. If you do a joke about salt and pepper, the next time you're sitting at your table with your family, and somebody says, pass the salt and pepper, everybody goes back to that moment, and it's miserable all over again. I don't understand why. Why would you do that? So I just waited. I would probably did comedy for two or three years before anybody even knew. What's and, then, and then even then, I gave, I played a video. I was like, hey, look, this is what I do. And they just sat there with their mouth open like, uh... And the stuff wasn't funny to them because it was so shocking. It's like, wait, what? Huh? Again, keep in mind, I'm the quiet person in the room. I don't talk a lot. Except for when I have something strategic to say. And my family is sitting there with their mouth open like, what? Huh? <laughs> they had to watch it like the third time before they could actually catch on to the joke. That's crazy. Or... or yeah, so. Nice. So you're doing it a couple times, starting to catch on, starting to feel like you've got something there. At what point did you start to really gain some traction and you feel like this is like this is my career? Like this isn't just like a, a little pastime or a little playtime hobby. Like I'm, I've got something here. Well, I still had to pay bills. So I was still at this point. I had my own oil change business, and I, and then I started working, doing a second job, even working at this overhead garage door company. I remember wanting, this probably is not right. Anyway, I remember wanting to get fired. I think we had sold the oil change business at this point, so I was just working at the other place. I remember wanting to get fired. Because if you get fired, you get unemployment. So I can't quit. I'm not a quitter. <laughs> so I remember wanting to get fired and I had a show. And I'm driving back in the in the overhead door truck and in the radio in. And I had a show in Detroit, which was like an hour and a half away from where I was at in Grand Rapids. I was like, man, I got to get to this show. It's, oh, it's like 5 o'clock. And they call me and they say, hey, we got another door we need you to repair. And I had a choice to make right there. Either I go repair this door and I continue being a great worker at the overhead door company. Or I just tell them I can't do it. I'm probably going to get fired. And I go to do comedy. One of the two is going to happen. So at that point, I had a choice to make. And I just chose to bring the truck in, not fix the door. Like when I got there, the guy called me in his office and said, hey, have a seat. I was like, uh, yeah, I think I know what this is about. I really don't need to sit down. So, uh, 
And then he just let me know. He had to let me go. I was like, oh, man. And he wanted to talk for a while. I was like, hey, it's okay. No, really, really, it's okay. And I just got in my car, drove to Detroit, got on stage, had a great set. They paid me uh, for that set. I think I got paid uh, $40. Nice. Which was almost enough for gas both ways. And the car was in, and then uh, and I didn't have a job after that. And I just kept digging in and digging in and digging in. Until, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm, I mean, you know, and then after a while I get seen by some pretty cool cats. Oh, I moved to New York City is what I did after that. So I moved to New York City and there's a club in New York that's the hardest comedy club in the country to get into. It's called the Comic Strip Live. And the way I got into this club is comedian George Wallace. Uh, well, first of all, just to give you a feel for how hard it is to get into this club, is comedians start lining up at 6 a.m. to do like 90 seconds in front of the manager at 7 p.m. It's a really hard club to get into. Yeah. So finally my turn to perform at the Comic Strip Live and this comedian named George Wallace walks in. Now, anybody like George Wallace walks into the comedy club, he automatically gets to go next. Whoever's, whoever was supposed to go, they get bumped. Sure. I'm supposed to go, I'm about to get bumped. But I don't. Instead, the manager walks over and says, hey, Michael, do you want to go in before George Wallace or after him? Which is a miracle. Because that's never an option. That yeah. was clearly God saying, check this out. So I go on stage before George Wallace. He yep. comes, not only do I have New Yorkers laughing, but George Wallace is laughing too. And uh, and then after the show, he says to me, wow, you're really funny and you're clean. I'd love for you to do a show with me and my best friend in a couple nights. I was pumped, excited. I didn't know who his best friend was. It didn't even matter. But then I get to the show, it's me, George Wallace, and Jerry Seinfeld. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, so that was pretty cool. So I do two shows, I get two standing ovations, I rip it up, and then that manager of that club, after he sees the shows and all that stuff, he actually approached me and asked me if I wanted to go to church with him. And I was like, that is weird, I'm going to go to church for I just got two standing ovations, I don't need to go to church. And then, uh, and then I actually ended up going, and it was the best thing I could have done. Because before, I used to just think I'm funny. Now I understand it, like I'm funny for a reason. Like there's purpose behind me being funny. Like, People need to laugh. Kids and families need to laugh together. And I get to be a, one of the people who can provide that family bonding laughter. So right. When you did that set with, uh, with George Wallace and Seinfeld, like up to that point, how many sets would you say you would have done before that opportunity presented itself? Uh, if I had to guess, I will probably say, I want to say maybe 1,500 or something. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's that's kind of the point. There's like, you know, that opportunity sounds cool, and most comedians are just people like in, into performing. Like, get that, like, man, that big break. Like, that's all I need if I can just catch that one break. But, but it's like you had fifteen hundred at bats before you had the big break where it came through. And most people yeah. quit like way before they get to that fifteen hundred. They're like, ah, this just isn't worth it. I don't want to put in the yeah. energy or effort, and it may not ever pan out. But like fifteen hundred sets that nobody really sees, like nobody cares about. And like like you have those moments where I know like as a speaker, I know those moments where it's like you have somewhere you leave stage and you're like that was awesome, it just landed, everything hit. But then those other moments where you're just like, That sucked, what am I doing here? What is, what's happening with my life? But then you have that one break that like changes everything, but it only comes after like months or years yeah. of work that nobody knows yeah. about. And here's the thing, yeah, that was fifteen hundred that I'm guessing probably in front of an audience. That doesn't even count how many times I did it when there's no audience around. Yep. I mean, just rehearsing it and going through it. And had I even been able to perform in front of George Wallace, let's say at the 700 set mark, he would have just saw my performance and been like, eh, whatever. 
Yeah. It wouldn't have been a big deal, but because I was able to put in the work before that, he saw it, he liked it, and, and that wasn't even... I mean, it was cool. I did a show with Jerry Seinfeld, but we did nothing really... I mean, me and George Ross are still friends, but nothing major came out of that. I wouldn't even necessarily call it a break. It was just a cool, it's a cool story at this point where the big break didn't really come until my mindset got changed from trying to get laughter from people to giving them an opportunity to laugh. Yeah. Whatever you do as a speaker or whatever you're doing for the audience, the greatest move you can make is instead of trying to go up there to get your point across or to get them to laugh or to get them to buy your product is look at what you have to offer as if you're giving them an opportunity to enjoy this. It takes all the pressure off of you. It takes the pressure off of them and it's almost like you've just reversed the interview. If, that any, if you're ever going on a job interview and you say something to somebody and you take the, the tone of, um, hey, if you flip the interview, as if you're interviewing them, it's, it just changes everything. There's no pressure. It's all going, I mean, if it's supposed to happen, it'll work out. But the big thing is, is you have to have the mindset that you're giving them something and hopefully they receive it. If they don't, it's okay. You still presented the gift. Yeah. Hey, I know uh, we got to wrap up here. Let me ask you this and we'll, we'll be done. If you were going back in time and you were going to do something different just to get into comedy and, and people that may be listening to this, they're going, man, I'm in, I'm kind of funny. I tell some jokes. People like it. I, I think I may have something there. There's just something that, that rough that I just got to work out and figure out how to actually make that into something. What would you do differently or what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into comedy? My advice is always uh, is make sure that you really are supposed to do stand-up comedy. And I would say to anybody out there who thinks they're supposed to be a stand-up comedian, the chances are you are not. I know that's a little demotivating for people, but here's <laughs> the thing. There's really no such thing, and if there is, it's not me, as a pure stand-up comedian. I really believe that at best, comedy is just a tool for what it is you're really supposed to present to the world. And whatever that thing is you're supposed to present, you're supposed to put this seasoning of comedy on top of it so it's more palatable to more people. But if you think that comedy is it, then you'd probably be disappointed once you get there. And then you can probably look, and I won't say any names, but you can look at some of the comedians from the past and even present who have really, really made it to the top, but then all of a sudden they seem to crash either into depression or they do something crazy and wild. And the reason is is because they thought that comedy was really it. They thought comedy was their big punchline. The truth is, it's just a setup. At best, it's seasoning. You can't aim to say, hey, I'm going to do stand-up comedy. I would say do stand-up comedy as a way to strengthen your ability to talk in front of people as a way to make sure that you understand comedic timing. But then once you have this seasoning to where it needs to be, you really need to use it just for that, which is seasoning, because it's not the meat. Everyone has some meat that they're supposed to bring to the world. But comedy isn't it. It's not meat. It's only a seasoning. Good stuff, man. I like the way you phrased that and put that. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll use that to kind of put a bow on things here. So, hey, I know you got to run, but before we jet, where can people find out more about you if we want to stalk you online or learn or see some of your videos? Where yeah, do we go? they can go to michaeljr.com and you can find a bunch of really cool videos. You can find some really cool uh, product merchandise. I've got my new comedy special out. We filmed in front of 4,000 people. And then uh, you can find out about some movies and stuff I'm, I'm doing. It just will be released pretty soon. 
and uh, just michaeljr.com. And then on all social media platforms, I am uh, michaeljrcomedy on all of the Twitter, Facebook, so Nice, dude. Yeah, check me out. Awesome, man. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate the time. Enjoy the conversation, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Oh, good stuff, man. Thanks a lot, bro. Boom. There you have it. Hope you enjoyed that chat with uh, with Michael Jr. As always, you can go to uh, grantbaldon.com slash Michael Jr., Michael-JR. And you can look up all the links, show notes, everything that we discussed there, everything that we talk about. Just a quick outline and summary of the show. If you haven't had a chance, make sure you swing by. Check out the site for sure. Uh, a lot of great blog posts over on grantbaldon.com as well. Just some uh, additional resources and tools to get you thinking about and helping you on your quest and journey to find and do work you love. If you want to check out some of Michael's comedy. You can uh, also go to uh, grantbaldon.com slash Michael Jr. And uh, we'll link to uh, some different videos and stuff that he's got available. But very funny man, as you could tell from the interview. And so uh, make sure that you stop by. You check out his stuff there. Hey, as always, I tell you, if there's anything that I can do to help you and support you on your journey to uh, find and do work you love, feel free to email me anytime, grant at grantbaldwin.com. And uh, we are putting together a new course right now. You know, one of the things that I get a lot of emails about is people just going, I have like 97 different things that I'm interested in, or I have zero idea what I'm interested in in terms of a career. So we are putting together a new resource for people uh, that's going to be out later this year, towards the end of this year, that I'm just ridiculously excited about. We're working together with a group of 15 different people who are just thinking through the same scenario as you. So if you're someone who's just, you're looking for clarity, we are working with a team of people right now just to put together a resource and a tool that can really help you process that. So I just want to teach you, I just want to let you know that, hey, if you're someone that's that's in the trenches and you're just trying to figure out what that thing looks like for you, just know we're putting together something that I think will really, really help you. Other people, like I said, that are in the trenches as well, who are processing this and trying to figure it out. Uh, we're working together to try to make you the best possible resource to help you find and do work you love. So I want to do more than just provide some interviews and some hopefully some encouragement and inspiration, but we want to provide you with tactical advice and practical tools to help you as you make that transition to figure out what it is that you want to do. So be on the lookout for that coming up shortly in a few months. Hey, uh, also, if, if there's any guests that you'd love for us to interview, any types of professions or any specific people that you'd love us to talk to, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Again, as always, email me at grant at grantbaldwin.com. All right. Hey, uh, one final shout out for today's sponsor, 99designs. Listen, you can get access again to over 315,000 graphic designers. You're going to get a design you love when you have that many choices. Professional, high quality results. Get 100% money back guarantee. You got nothing to lose there. If you go to 99designs.com slash grant, they're going to hook you up with a $99 power pack of services for free. Very, very cool. So stop by, check that out. Again, if you need anything designed, anything designed, then uh, stop by there and check that out. Again, 99designs.com slash grant. All right, I think that's it. Anything else we need to talk about? Anything else we need to share? Anything else you want to dialogue on? No? We're just going to sit here in awkward silence? Just when I thought we were getting to know each other. This is what you do. Okay, this has just turned awkward, even more awkward than I made it originally. So let's wrap up episode 36. Hope you enjoyed that. You're awesome. Hope you know that. Hope you know how much I appreciate you. And uh, we'll come at you again soon. Have a good one. You're awesome. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the How Did You Get Into That podcast with Grant Baldwin. Don't forget to visit grantbaldwin.com for all the show notes and links discussed in today's episode. We'll see you next time.